Thank you, choir and instrumentalist. God's faithfulness is indeed great. And this morning we celebrate the greatest act of God's faithfulness ever, ever in the entire history of the cosmos, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love Easter. I really do. It's one of my favorite holidays. I know a lot of families here have Easter traditions. Morgan told me that Kyle Holmberg was downstairs preparing a ham in the ovens downstairs that uh, I guess we're, some of us are going to get to enjoy hopefully after the service. I'm going to go down and have a taste, I'm sure. My mom's here. She used to always make a bunny cake. Anybody do that with the round cakes where you make the ears and you do the bow tie, Lee Ellen, you did that? Yes, I can see that's definitely a Phillips thing. I can totally see that. All these wonderful traditions that surround Easter. And you know, it's fun to do the Easter egg hunts. We had a great turnout on a beautiful, it was kind of hot, but a beautiful day yesterday out here on the West Lawn, hunting eggs and seeing the kids going crazy. And I even buried one of the special eggs and someone found it. It was incredible. But, you know, Easter, what's with the eggs and the bunnies? Well, some of you may know Easter takes its name from one of the Anglo-Saxon pagan fertility goddesses, okay? Her name was Easter. That's why we have bunnies and eggs at, at Easter. April was known as Easter month by the pagans of the Middle Ages. But as early as the beginnings of the 100s AD, we have evidence that the early church, the first couple generations of Christians, began adopting this time of year as the year to celebrate the resurrection of Christ because it coincided with the Jewish Passover time. And at Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of the spotless lamb whose blood atones for the sin of the world. So it's a perfect time to celebrate Easter. It's also appropriate because in the East, the sun rises, right? And on Easter, we celebrate the risen S-O-N, the Son of God who rose again. I had the privilege this morning of speaking at the Tennessee Prison for Women. We have a, a group called Master Life. If you want to get involved with that, come see me or, or Sheila Clark or Elizabeth Perkins or, or someone here who would love to tell you about that ministry. But I'm thankful their sunrise service didn't start at 6.30. It started at 7.30, so that was nice. But to see the sun coming through the clouds, someone else told me today that this morning the sun was, was peeking through the clouds and it was just testifying. All creation testifies this morning to the risen sun who rises in the east. Did you know that Christians used to be buried facing east? All the Christians used to be buried facing the east in anticipation of the second coming. They assumed that the Lord would come from the east where the sun rises and that they would rise to meet the risen sun. So this morning I, I said that Easter is the most important day on the Christian calendar. So why is that? What is it about Easter that matters so much? Trey was kind of stealing my thunder there, saying that this is a big deal. This is a crazy claim, he said, that Christ is indeed risen. Why does that matter so much? I mean, Jesus died for our sins. That's what we talk about all the time in evangelical churches. Isn't that what counts? Well, it's not enough, says Paul. The Apostle Paul says the Lord through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Usually preachers preach from the, the gospel passages at Easter about the resurrection of Christ, but this morning I want us to look at some of the theology about what the resurrection means for our lives in this beautiful, beautiful chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says this, starting in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, 
then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have really perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we of all people are to be most pitied. You know, according to this passage, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is futile. Futile. You know what that means? It means it's, in, in, it's not capable of producing any kind of good result. It means it's pointless. It means it's useless. It means we're wasting our time here just as Frederick Nietzsche and, and many of the new atheists, Richard Dawkins and those types, claim that we're wasting our time, that we're self-delusional here. You know what's futile? The other day I was, I was decided to clean out my garage and it was full of leaves and leaves just kind of tend to come in so I we got the cars out and moved some, some stuff out of the way and I, I hooked up my, my blower and I, I said I'm going to blow these leaves out and I, I opened the garage doors and there happened to be a good wind coming from the north which blows directly into my garage. And no matter how powerful my blower is, the wind from outside was winning that battle. So me and my stubborn, you know, whatever, I decide I'm going to do it anyway. So I get the blower out and I start blowing some leaves and of course the wind starts blowing them right back in. And by the time I finally gave up realizing that it was futile, that I realized that there were more leaves than when I had started because the wind won that battle. If anyone had seen me, they would have said, that poor, pathetic guy just won't learn when to give up. He's, what he's doing is pointless. What he's doing is useless. There are people in our world who point to us and say, what you're doing is useless. What you're doing is pointless. Well, they're right if Christ has not been raised. It all hinges on the resurrection. We're pitiful. It says here in verse 19, we're most to be pitied if Christ hasn't been raised. We're most to be pitied if our hope is only to have a good life kind of in this earthly existence. What the point is here is that we are pitiful if we have no future hope. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about because that's what the resurrection is all about. It's all about hope for, for the future, hope for life beyond the grave. If Christ hasn't been raised, then we have no hope of ever conquering death. And death, as we will talk about more here later, is the power of sin. If Christ has not been raised, then we have no hope for being free from the fear of the shadow of death. The resurrection of the Son of God brings this radical hope to bear on everything that we do and everything that we are in a way that changes everything, like Trey said. If this is real, that Christ has been raised, it changes everything, how we live. The British theologian N.T. Wright, he was an archbishop of, of Duke for a while, but of, of Durham for a while, he says this, Easter was when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. Isn't that beautiful? Hope in person, hope in flesh, hope as Jesus Christ came from the future into our reality here in the present. We can have real hope now because Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, you may say, I, I, I never really thought of the resurrection being that important. Maybe you're exaggerating. Well, if you don't have the resurrection, then you don't have the gospel, right? There's no good news without Christ being raised. 
The good news isn't good news at all if Christ hasn't defeated death. The resurrection is the second half of the gospel message. The first half being that Christ did die for our sins like we celebrated on Monday night at the Lord's table. But if he had stayed dead, then we would have no hope because death would still prevail. Death would still have won the day. Death would still reign. And this is crucially important. This is what Paul says at the beginning of this chapter is part of the first things that we ever learn as Christians. Look at verse 3 of chapter 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the creed that Paul is delivering to the Corinthian church. He's, you know, the Corinthian church didn't believe in the resurrection. They said, dead people don't really rise. That's just a, a myth. It's a fable. Paul's saying, no, it's the gospel. It's the core part of our faith. It's what we told you from the beginning, the threefold truth that we just sang earlier. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. This is what all Christians in all places and all times have believed about Jesus Christ. So the fact that Christ was raised on the third day is of first importance. Okay, so I hear you saying it's a big deal, Nathan. So why does it matter exactly that Christ was raised? What does it do? What does it affect us? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 also answers this in verse 54. Paul says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable <clears throat> and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this, this passage. Paul says that when Christ was raised from the dead, when the perishable put on the imperishable, when the mortal was raised in immortality, that then what the prophets wrote, death will have no sting, came to be true. I kind of like that Paul's mocking death too. He's kind of making fun of death a little bit. He says, oh death, where's your sting? Oh death, where's your victory? You got nothing. I like that. That's kind of appealing to me in my sarcastic sense. When Christ rose from the dead, he defeated the weapon of sin. Yes, when he died on the cross, he defeated sin, but sin still had that thing called death, which is the greatest power of sin. When Christ rose, he defeated the weapon, the sting of sin. Since sin is the terminal sickness that infests our whole world, right? It's what breaks down our world, it's weapon Death is the worst thing in the world then, isn't it? Death is the worst thing in the world. We exaggerate sometimes by saying things like, oh, it's a fate worse than death. Or I'd, I'd rather die than do that or eat that or clean that or whatever. But deep down, we all know that death really is the most horrible, terrible thing in this world. Sigmund Freud, you know, the, the father of modern psychiatry, he attempted to solve all the problems of humanity with psychotherapy. If we can just dive deep enough into one's subconscious, we can solve these problems. But there was one issue he could never overcome. 
He once wrote, and finally there is the painful riddle of death, for which no remedy at all has yet been found, nor ever probably will be. <laughs> but oh, Sigmund, we have a remedy. We have found a remedy for death. Jesus tells his followers in the upper room in, in chapter 14, John 14, verse 19, because I live, you also will live. Because I live, you also will live. That's our hope. You know, I wonder if the disciples, as they reclined around the table at that Maundy Thursday, if they could have known what Jesus was talking about here. If they could have known that he was talking about partaking in the resurrection that he would bring to the world, that we would be participants in the resurrection with him. I wonder if they could understand that. Probably not at that point. Jesus was explaining to them that because he would conquer death, so would they. Because he didn't fear death, they didn't need to either. Our hope is found in resurrection. You see, sin and death and law are all kind of tied together in this horrible, destructive web of, of death. The law shows us how sinful we actually are. Romans 3.23, right? We've all broken the law. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The law serves to show us how far short we fall of God's holy standard of perfection. And then Romans 6.23 explains that the wages of sin is death. Wages are what you earn, right? Wages are what you deserve. When you work, you, you say, give me my wages. Give me what I earn. Sin earns death, always. And, and this sounds legalistic or, 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 you know, like kind of do right or, or you'll die. That's not what's happening here. God's trying to help us flourish. He loves us and wants us to live the best life that he can possibly give to us, the abundant life. When we break the eternal laws of God and we go against his life-giving ways, you know this, it leads to destruction. It leads to pain. It leads to suffering and ruin and ultimately death. That's why sin brings death. It's just a reality of this universe that we all know deep down that going against God's good ways results in death. But on Good Friday, we celebrated that Jesus himself bore our sins as the perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb without blemish. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's what baptism's all about. You die to sin, you live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. Yes, this is true. We are dead to sin through the atoning work that Jesus did on the cross. But what about power of sin? Death. What about death? The, the punishment that sin always brings. Just because Jesus you know, died for our sins doesn't mean that death no longer wins. If, if Jesus, like I said before, if Jesus didn't rise, then death still wins. So what hope do we have then to reverse the curse of death? It's found in the resurrection. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children, that's us, God's people, share in flesh and blood, we're human, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject 
to lifelong slavery. When Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered the fear of death. So really, the, the sermon has two points here, okay? The first one is, is what does the resurrection mean? And then the, the second point is, how then shall we live? In light of what we know about the resurrection, how then shall we live? Well, my hope and prayer is that we would live as resurrection people. The resurrection is good news for us today. This enables us to live as resurrection people in the world as we leave this place today. The verse we just read, Hebrews 2.15, says we're free from the fear of death. We don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Death shouldn't be terrifying for resurrection people because we know that death is just a temporary thing, that it doesn't have the last word. God does. This verse also says that because Jesus died and rose again, that Satan is defeated. Yes, he's still active in our world. Yes, we still have horrible things like, like cancer and, and divorce, and we have poverty and, and hunger, and we have war and violence, and we have you know, shady politics and all kinds of, of awful things in our world, but Satan's doom is sure. Satan has been dealt a death blow. When Jesus rose from the grave, Satan was mortally wounded. Now, hunters, I'm not a hunter, but hunters will tell you that an animal that is mortally wounded is really dangerous at that point. That they're, they're capable of inflicting a lot of damage because they know their doom is sure. That's where Satan's at. His doom is sure. He knows that he's going to die because Jesus rose from the dead. So he's out to get us with his last dying gasp of breath. This is also good news for us because Hebrews 2.15 says that resurrection people are no longer lifelong slaves. We can live in freedom now. We're not subject to the chains of death anymore. Resurrection people live in a way that shows the world we're not afraid to die. Resurrection people have hope now that death isn't the end. That through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we too will be raised from the dead and will live with God in His glorious new kingdom forever and ever. This is real life, right? This is not just something we talk about at church. Yesterday, Richard and I and several of you guys were at uh, funerals that we had at Woodlawn Cemetery. Just on my way in today, I was talking to one of our members who's dealing with the death of a friend. It's, this is real stuff that we all deal with in our lives. I kept thinking about this sermon during the service yesterday, the funeral that I attended, that yes, we grieve because we miss our loved ones. It still slaps us in the face every day that they're gone. But because of the resurrection, we grieve not as those without hope. Our grief is defined by hope now. We have future hope. Surely on Good Friday, Jesus' own friends and family were devastated, thinking that he was gone forever. But then Sunday came. Death couldn't hold him down. His resurrection means that today we can say with joy that the, the death of our loved ones, while tragic and sad and terrible, but that it's not the end. That they will rise someday and we will be reunited with our loved ones. That is resurrection hope. So our, our application, our, our challenge this morning is to live out this hope of resurrection 
to a lost and dying world that desperately needs to hear the good news that Christ is risen indeed. Easter has a really strong missional impulse to it. There's a sending note here. You saw when when Mary showed up at, at Peter and John's house, they went running out to the tomb. My prayer and hope is that we would go running out into the world as resurrection people to hold out this good news to the world. Easter is a call to go forth in power as one who accepts the truth, this crazy claim of the resurrection. One who really honestly believes that death is not the end. That inspires us and empowers us and compels us to go forth. The author and, and former Catholic priest, Brennan Manning, writes in his book, Abba's Child, for me, the most radical demand of the Christian faith lies in summoning the courage to say yes to the present risenness of Jesus Christ. To say yes to the crazy claim that Jesus Christ is not only risen, but that he's present with us. That hope has come from the future into the present. And he's here among us now. Will you say yes to the present risenness of Christ today? Paul knows that resurrection means we must live in a different way. That's why he closes chapter 15 with verse 58 showing us how we shall now live as resurrection people. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The resurrection must change the way we live our lives. Resurrection people, Paul says here, are to be immovable. We're to be steadfast. We're to be abounding in the work of bringing about redemption in this fallen world, knowing that we are not working in vain because we have hope that all the curses of this world, including the worst one, death, are being reversed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, N.T. Wright wrote that the resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. The resurrection is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. So let's go live like that. Let's go live like God's kingdom has come to earth. Let's evidence to the world the reality of the risen Christ who is present in our world, working constantly to reverse the curse of death and sin and suffering. That's what resurrection people are all about. You see how Easter leads to mission, don't you? If we really believe this crazy claim that Jesus Christ has conquered death, then we should be fearless. We should be free from judgment, free from fear of failure. We should be free to go forth into the world holding out this great light. We're gonna have a time now of reflection as our choir and instrumentalists lead us in a song as we reflect on what Christ has done for us. Maybe this morning you're without hope. Maybe you're in the middle of a situation that seems hopeless. Maybe you don't see how God could possibly take something bad in your life and make something good from it. You know what the word is for that? Redemption. Redemption. To take something bad and make it good. 
You redeem a coupon, a piece of paper that you redeem. You redeem tickets for a toy. Redemption means taking something worthless and making something beautiful out of it. There is a Redeemer, the risen Christ, Jesus.